And over the last few weeks, we've had a week where we introduced a series, then the week two, we did on Sunday gathering, we are attendants. Last week, we were talking about we are connected, talking about the importance of our small groups and how you and I can be connected together, not designed to be isolated, but designed to be in relationship with one another. And this morning, we're talking about an incredibly powerful, and I believe an incredibly releasing thing that the Bible talks about so many times. And that is with many today, we are givers. So forgive me, but we are going to talk about our internet. We're going to talk about our time, our talent, and our treasure. But we're going to focus predominantly on the treasure of time and money. Now, we don't often talk about money in the life of the church. We often talk maybe for a couple of minutes at our twice monthly moment, but it's not a thing we talk about on a platform like regularly. But also, culture doesn't talk about it particularly strongly either. I don't know if you've uh, begun to see some of those adverts on TV recently by Lord's Bank. They're called, they've had a brand new advertising campaign called The N Word. Let's talk about money. And there's slightly awkward moments of people sat around their dining room table or in a cafe and they go through all of these kind of scenarios of what they don't want to talk about and it finally transpires the new type of conversation about money. Well, this morning here at a live and across our other live locations, we're going to talk about something that the Bible talks on multiple times throughout Scripture. Over 2,300 verses in Scripture are about money or about wealth or possessions. Don't if you notice, but Jesus, out of his whole sermon ministry, about 15% of his sermons are about money. Of 11, and it's in 39 parables, speak about money. So to Jesus, it's an important principle. To us, it's an important principle here at Alive. You know, one of our values, we are generous people, is based really on what our heart attitude is towards money and towards time and towards our talents. How can we be generous with all that God has given us? We want to talk about money this morning because our culture is really important talking about money. It's some very interesting statistics. UK homeless now own. Sorry, and now owing an average of £15,385 to credit card. So across the UK, on average, there's an incredible amount of debt. When you add in mortgages to that, it's just under £60,000 that UK homes are indebted to others regarding. It's not just an individual problem, it's a global and national problem. I don't know if you knew this, but the debt that the UK currently has is £1.76 trillion. That's the debt of this nation. The Bible talks about debt being like the yoke of slavery. It talks about debt not being a good thing for us. So today, we want to talk about some of the principles of giving, some of the principles of leading generous lives, because God has a way for us. He has a design for us. So he's designed to equip us to live in freedom. And if the church doesn't talk about it, where are we going to get that information from? Where are we going to be from God's design? Now, whenever you talk about money, there's a couple of caveats that I want to say. First and foremost, there's absolutely no condemnation in my heart today as I talk about this. We will talk about some things that I think the Bible sets out for us as ways to live. But I want you to receive them, and I'm certainly wanting to save them from a place of freedom and a place today where actually, you know, these are things that you can, if we can begin to grasp and understand that God says, do it this way. And we will begin to step into a new level of freedom in an area for many of us 
then actually we've got to work it out. My own discipleship journey around finances and money has been one of journeying some of this stuff out. And as we go through it this morning, I'll speak about some of my own journey in finances and understanding money as well. But there's no condemnation. The other thing I want to say is that for maybe a number of you in here today, money and dealing with money is not an area that you're mastering at this moment of time, and perhaps you have got some debt. Perhaps you are in places that actually, as we talk about this sort of stuff, it reveals in your heart something where you think, I need to sort that out. At the end of our message this morning, we will have a prayer team, we'd love to stand with you, but we also want to signpost you to brilliant organisations who can help you with some of those things. Maybe you've heard of Christians Against Poverty, the CAP um, Debt Charity, which are just phenomenal at helping us walk out some of those things that sometimes become things that grip us and can place us into shackles. You know, debt is a thing that really is debilitating. It's, it uh, robs you of life. And uh, we want every person here to step into freedom. And we believe in financial freedom as well is what God has intended for you. The final thing to say is I'm going to reference an Old Testament passage today as we speak. And one of the dangers whenever we talk about money is that we use these two two phrases we use, law and grace. Obviously, when we talk about the Old Testament, we're talking about principles that were set up under the law of God. And when Jesus came, he came and he fulfilled the law, and we now sit under grace. So we no longer run under the constraints of the law, but we're under the grace of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand today, as I speak out in this place today, I don't want any of us to go away thinking, these are rules and regulations, these are things we have to do because the law says it. But I want us to understand that by the grace of Jesus, we get to live in the freedom that he has for us. But I believe there's principles through scripture that help each and every one of us handle life. And I want to pick up some of those principles from the Old Testament, knowing now that under the grace of Jesus, actually, everything is better. Everything's better. We have an opportunity to live with some of these principles ruling in our hearts, but we're under the grace of Jesus. And before we actually talk about money, I wanted to talk about hearts. Because actually everything we talk about today, where we're going to land is talking about our giving, but it all starts with the culture and the nature of our heart. The heart really is the seat in our body of our processing. It's the place where we deal with our belief systems. It's the place where we deal with how we feel, what we understand. That's what the biblical understanding of the word heart means. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. There's a great statement to begin to live by. Then take me to the New Testament, Matthew 6, one of those great passages of Jesus' teaching. He talks about money and he talks about this principle. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on to say this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So how we think and behave around money really reflects the spiritual condition of our hearts. 
And when we start our whole conversation this morning is about the spiritual condition of our hearts. We're going to talk about four things from the Old Testament this morning that really look at the nature and the culture of our hearts. But I want to ask this question first and foremost with that understanding that we're going to land this morning on money. And it's this. Who do we serve? Who do we serve? If we serve money, and Jesus is quite um, plainly there told us we can't serve both, we can't serve God and money. If we serve money, there's something that will drive us either to want to um, get more money, or we'll have a comparison model in our lives where we're always comparing how we sit against others. Or we'll have a poverty mindset, a lack mindset, we can't do this because we don't have enough money. Or we'll have a selfish attitude, that sense of the money that I've got is all mine. Or perhaps we'll have a jealous mindset. The money that I've got is never going to amount to too much, and therefore I can never do what that person over there is doing. But when we serve God, we place Him first and foremost in our lives, and then money begins to sit under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It begins to, it becomes a placement in our lives where it begins to get its right priority. And I believe that by understanding that, we can begin to move into a new set of freedoms in our lives. Today we're going to read from Deuteronomy, a book towards the beginning of the Bible, a book of sermons really and statements by Moses to the Israelite nation. And today we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 15. And we're reading from this today because here we see a, an outworking of spoken word, really, from Moses to a body of people 40 years on from when the initial law was given to Moses, and then that was explained to the Israelite nation. He's now speaking to a new generation, and he's now beginning to speak out the law again, and actually beginning to put it into practice, a new level of understanding for a new generation. And here in chapter 15, we start to see God's um, code or law for how to deal with finances. And he begins to start to speak out his plan for the nation. You see, God always has our best at heart. He always has our best in his thinking and his ways. He wants us to flourish in life. And this is one of the areas that he starts to talk out to the Israelite nation. So I want you to flourish. You do it this way, you will flourish. It will go well with you. So we're going to read quite a chunk of scripture this morning, and we're going to pick up some of the code, or some of the ways that God is instructing his people in the way of life. This is Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 7. It says this, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is with you, do not be hard-hearted, there's that heart thing again, or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Verse 10 goes on to say this. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. 
Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed, but supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and your and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. So the word Deuteronomy literally means second law, and what Moses is doing here is out working to a new generation, as I said, the law given to him by God. Really what we're saying here is that he's restating God's command to the Israelite nation. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, he starts to outwork a number of principles of actually how to handle finances, what to do with all that God has given you. The first principle is this, every seventh year, you're going to cancel all debts amongst yourselves. So if Danny has uh, borrowed some money from me, in seven years' time, Danny knows that if he hasn't repaid that, I am under the law of God going to cancel that debt. So Danny is never under the shackles of an ongoing critical debt. He's not in that place for the rest of his life. He knows that every seventh year that's going to be cancelled. But not only that, every seventh year, if Danny has become a slave to me, I've become a slave to he's become a slave to me, we're in the same nation, Israel nation, every seventh year, I am to let the slave go. And I'm not only to let the slave go, but I am to let the slave go and bless the slave and set the slave up for a blossoming prosperity future. This sense that actually God has made a code, a way of living, a sense in his people of saying, you know, every seventh year, we're going to cancel all debts and release the slaves, release those to be free, but also set them up for a life of prosperity, a life of freedom. And that's where we're going to look today. We're going to study four things, four principles out of this that actually we can begin to allow our hearts to fall in line with what God suggests through Deuteronomy chapter 15. That actually our heart attitude towards giving, our heart attitude to what he has given to us and what is to flow through us will become radically shaped. Here's our first point of those. We are givers as we deal with a selfish heart. So Deuteronomy 15 verse 9 says this, Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts, is near. So in other words, what God is saying here is, how does the one who is carrying, has given money to Danny, Danny's the one in debt to Harold, if Harold starts to think at year six, or year six and a half, or do you know what? It's coming up to that time. I want to pull that back in because that year the cancelling debts is coming up. God is basically saying that's not what you thought. Don't allow that to creep into your thinking. Don't allow that selfish thought to creep into your thinking. So let's extrapolate that out into New Testament thinking for a moment. The prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15 is an incredible version, uh, incredible story where one part or component parts of the story demonstrates to us a selfish heart. 
Then he remembered the story where the um, father welcomes home with the prodigal son. But in the welcoming home and the celebration of the son's return, the elder brother can't become part of that celebration. He allows a selfishness in his heart to stop him enjoying what, God, uh, what the father wants to do for the younger son. He said this to the father, you never gave these things to me, Dad. And then the father says things like, yeah, but all of this yours. You have access to all of this. This sense that actually a selfish heart, but we begin to have our hearts egocentric or self-facing or self-focused. It blinds us to the riches that God has given us. Not only does it do that, but it steals the opportunity to enjoy the blessings of God. As I've grown up, uh, finances for me, certainly a number of years ago, were very, and I needed to control them. My heart was, uh, I needed to wrap them, book for me. Couldn't give them away, I couldn't allow finances to flow through me. Finances needed to be something that I controlled. But all of that stemmed really from a selfish attitude. You know, what comes my way is mine to work with. I'm going to show you a little model in a couple of minutes of a way that I walked through some of those things. I've been discipled, some of that stuff now broken in my life. And it's uh, because of that that I'm now able, I believe, to stand into the freedom that God has for me. But a selfish heart needs dealing with. A selfish heart certainly to deal with finance, something that will bind you. It will hold you. When the only thing about it is, it's mine, and I'm going to do with it what I want. That and that point is not how God desires Proverbs 10, verse 22 says this, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. A selfish heart combines the blessing of God with sorrow. I don't want to let go. I don't want something else to happen to that finance. But actually it's the blessing of God that makes us rich. So we're to deal with a selfish heart. The second is we're to deal with a grudging heart. As givers, we deal with a grudging heart. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10 says this, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. The word grudging literally means this, given or allowed only reluctantly or resentfully. I don't know if you've ever given in to an offering, or perhaps you've given your time, and there's been that little nudge in your heart, like, oh, this is hard today. I feel as though it's a wrench for me to give this one. That's a grudging heart, or it's the seed of a grudging heart. If you allow that to grow, there's a real uh, sense that it could become something of a grudge to you to give. God doesn't design us to give out of a grudging heart. In fact, that's a place that will lock us up and shackle us, but actually has a freedom for us. But it's for us to deal with it. It's for us to process it out and walk it out. When we have a grudging attitude, we think that the money is allowed us. And all of this belongs to God. I remember this that I referred to a couple of times last week. This was my own journey. Can we go to the next slide, I believe? Fantastic. So this is my own journey with um, what I call stewardship, or finances, or handling what God has placed through me. So my own point of journey of this, my starting point was the top left hand image here, where I understood that everything was mine. 
So it all sat with me. I had control over it. Um, our culture sears us towards this at all levels. Okay, it's an egocentric culture. The Facebook and uh, social media generation, you know, the selfie generation, it's all about me. Everything's about me. Everything revolves around me. When I was studying to be a teacher, we learned from a um, sociologist or a child psychologist called Piaget, and he calls um, the um, age of two the egocentric phase. I don't know if you've ever had toddlers. If you have, you know what that means. Everything revolves around them. Give me a biscuit, uh, food, it comes my way. The problem is, for most of society, we haven't grown up out of that. Everything revolves around us. And the journey of stewardship is to begin to move from that place. That's not a healthy place. That's a selfish and a grudging place to stay there. That was where I started. And then the second phase is the one at the top right-hand corner, where actually we become, begin to become people who have a conscience without violence. This is what things like a red nose day, children need rely upon. It's a conscientious people who understand that actually there's need out there, and if I can portion some of what I've got to meet that need, then I'm doing good. That's, as you can see, some of the benefits that things like uh, Red Nose Day, Comic etc. They rely on that in the nation. But actually, it's built into us this sense of consciousness around need. And that's a marker on the journey of becoming a steward. And then in church life, we then talk quite often around the next image, which is the bottom left. We talk about the tithing principle. So this is, a, this is something that happens in... Many of us decide that we begin to understand that actually it's not all right. But actually, God has designed a principle in the way that we operate to call the tithe a 10%. The tithe literally means 10%. And that principle is something that can teach me to become, I give my first 10% to God, and then the rest of it, 90%, is mine to do with what I want. So it's a step on the journey of becoming a generous giver. It's a step on a journey of becoming a steward. But actually, I would advocate and argue that there's one final step for every single one of us. And this is something I've begun to understand, and I don't get it right all the time. It's oftentimes I step back into the other areas, but the last one is that actually a fuller understanding that it's all God's. Everything that God has given to me is His. And my journey is to understand that I'm a steward of it all. I am somebody who's got to handle it wisely. Out of that, I still believe in the first 10% principle of that. That's my offering to the Lord. But I know now that I don't own the other 90%. It's not for me to own that. It's for me to steward that on behalf of the Lord. And when we can begin to understand that principle of stewardship, you can apply the same principle to your time, you can apply the same principle to the earth. I had a long conversation even this week about stewardship of the earth. I mean, if you pick some of that up in the news, you can do it about your relationships, you can do it about the Christian walk, about stewarding our lives before God. For me, that helps me quite dramatically in my dealing with my grudging heart, dealing with what was going on. So we're to deal with our selfish heart, we're to deal with our grudging heart. Point number three is this, we're not going to be dealing now, we're going to develop it. We give, as we are givers, we develop a generous heart. Deuteronomy 15 verses 12 to 14 says this. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. 
But this incredible picture of generosity. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Galatians chapter 6 reminds us of our um, principles or our priorities in giving. It says this in, in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Our charitable giving is to begin with those brothers and sisters who are closest to us. One of these incredible uh, pictures from this Deuteronomy uh, passage is this sense of releasing each other into freedom. Now, of course, we don't in our day and age, in this culture here, live under a slave and ruler, understanding of mentality. But I would argue that actually, unless we can begin to understand finances in their right priority order under God, actually, we can find ourselves under a master and slave relationship. Debt is very, very similar to a master and slave relationship. If you've ever been in debt, I was in debt for a number of years of my life. I made some very um, unwise decisions at the end of university and made some unwise decisions in my first job as a teacher where I began to live beyond my means, where I began to accumulate debt and understood really over a number of, probably about 15 years, of the power that that debt had over my life. The power that it had to affect my mental state, my state of emotional health, my relationship with Claire, my household income, but the choices I made. I would advocate that when I was in debt, I was in a master and slave relationship. Because the one thing that was the master in my life was the debt that I was carrying. It's only in recent years that we began to walk all of that out. We went through a debt management program. We actually went through one of those, um, it wasn't through CapEx, it was through another organisation. We began to get our finances out from the shackles of debt and place them under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Throughout all of this, I was understanding the tithing principle. We were still tithing, but I hadn't fully understood the stewardship principle. And when I began to unpack what it was to be a steward of God's goodness in my life, I began to see the shackles of death come off my life. I began to step into freedom. And it's now from a place today I can stand and say, I am free of all debts other than the mortgage. We have a mortgage over our, over our house. But other than that, there's no other personal debt in our household. And I thank God for that. It's only because He allowed us to walk through that journey that I'm able to stand here today. But that has in me developed this heart now of generosity. Because of God's goodness to me, I now want to have a flow through my life that looks generous. When I have generosity in my time for people, when I have generosity in my talents and using my talents uh, as God instructs me to give, but I want to be generous with the finances that I have coming through me as well. I want to give into the life of the local church like I've never given before, because I know that that's that storehouse that we speak of in Malachi. It's a sense of actually investing into the local body of Christ. I love that principle. And I see in my own heart, my own life, that when I begin to live like this, actually, I do it and God blesses me. I don't do it in order to be blessed by God, because that would be a wrong heart attitude. But actually, as I give and as I live a generous life, I stand under the blessing of God. So we develop a generous heart. And then the final point this morning, we are givers. Because we develop a grateful heart. Develop a grateful heart. 
verse 15 said this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. God gives us a commandment to be grateful to the Lord. He's now harking back to the Israelite nation and saying, you were one of the slaves. Now look at you. I've now moved you from that place. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you were a slave and you were shackled to those things that held you back. And for you and I today, the same thing before we met Jesus. We were slaves to our past. We were slaves to our sin. We were slaves to the things that bound us and bind us. For some of you today, you may also still feel that you're on a journey to breaking free of those things. There's incredible um, programs and things that we have in the life of the church, you know, Freedom in Christ, Sozo courses, um, Alpha courses, connect groups, walking in accountability with one another, <laughs> etc. that allow us to step into freedom. But all I can say is that for my own heart, as I've begun to understand the journey that God's taken me on, I never want to lose the gratitude. I never want to lose becoming a breakthrough person. It's only because of what God has done in me. And wherever we stand today, however we know Jesus, if we know him, we can always stand with the knowledge that it's only because he first gave it to us that we're ever able to give it. John 3.16 reminds of that, doesn't it? But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's the most precious thing. Everything that he did was through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 8, and God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This sense that he was not waiting for us to get it right, but because of how much he loved us, he gave himself for us. And that's how we reflect our giving. We reflect how he first gave us. So let's plan this by talking about money. We're in the centre of our um, series on partnership. And one of our great partnership mechanisms as we partner together as the body of Christ is the partnership of our finances together. What happens in every service here at Alive is we receive our tithes and offerings. It's an opportunity for the body of Christ to receive what God is doing in us. And we do it with generous and grateful hearts. And we do it with this principle set of because he's first loved us, we're able to give back to him. As I said, Malachi 3 reminds us that we do that into the storehouse. My understanding of the New Testament is the local church becomes the storehouse, becomes the place where we allow leaders over our lives to determine where that is going to be allocated to. It's a mechanism of trust in my own heart. It allows me to say and put a principle in place that I trust the Lord with my finances. I trust the Lord, first and foremost, with what he is allowing me to steward. And this is how I love us to apply our message this week on giving. I'd love us to begin to understand what I would call the first best principle. That literally, for me, means that in my world, in my financial world, I'm going to begin to understand that it's all God's. That I'm going to apportion back to God the first and the best of all that he has allowed me to do. Here at Alive, we understand that to be the word time, the 10%. And for myself and Claire, as Jonas and Sean um, said a minute ago, we do that for a standing order. We understand that actually on the first day of the month, we get paid on the last day of uh, the month, and on the very first day of the next month, so 1st of October, 
The first thing that comes out of our bank account is our tithe and our offering into the life of the local church. It comes into a life. Now, I, I've not yet seen a month where another direct debit has come out higher than that. It's literally always the first one on my statement every single month. And we give out standing order, but then we also give a message, uh, give an amount into make a difference, and we also give an amount into rising board. I would love to encourage you to begin to pick up the principle of first events. Now, that can either be a weekly giving, or it can be a monthly giving, where you understand that actually God has allowed me to steward finances that come through, and I want to allocate my first and my best of that. When I was a student, I got it around the wrong way. I'd spent up everything and then I basically looked for what was left in my pocket to give that back to God. That wasn't a stewardship understanding. That was a selfish understanding. I've used everything that God has given me. Now I'm going to give back what I have left. But actually, I want to encourage you to begin to pick up the first and best mentality or mindset. I really do believe that Matthew 3 verse 10 teaches us this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I honestly believe if we give the first and the best, God literally will take care of us. This sense that actually as we apportion and prioritize our finances to reflect how much we love Him, He will look after the rest of our financial endeavor. Today, you can see David and, and David Dunbar, and you can pick up on that standing order performance. That would be a great way for you to apply the message today. So if you're an electronic banker, you can do that. You can just use all the details, mate, to fill that in. But also every week we have the envelope system, and in there is the, is the form for you to give. You can fill that in each and every week if you want to continue giving weekly. We know that so many of you do, and have stepped into this financial freedom because you've placed God as a priority order of your finances. But I hope you hear my heart, this is not to get money to the church. This is actually a freeing principle that God has written into scripture. And as we understand it, actually every one of us can step into new levels of freedom. I believe that God wants to bless us, bless us with an outpouring from heaven over our lives. And I believe there's some principles that as we begin to adopt them into our lives, Dealing with our selfish heart, dealing with a grudging heart, developing a generous heart, and developing a heart that is always wanting to say thank you as we are grateful people. Well, I'm grateful it's been a thrill to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for your attentiveness. I hope that some of this unlocks things for you and allows you to step into freedom in Christ. This morning we're going to finish by praying the same prayer we pray every single week. It's a prayer as an opportunity for you to become a follower of Jesus. We do it week in, week out, across all of our services. I've got a prayer up on the screen here. I'd love every single one of us to say the prayer together. And then at the end of this prayer, if you've said this prayer for the very first time this morning, and you've never said a prayer like this, I'd love you to indicate to me by raising your hand. Because one or two of my friends here have got a little book they'd love to bring to you. They're going to sit and just talk you through the prayer that you prayed and starting this personal relationship with Jesus. Many of us in this room have done this at other points in our life. And I can say, wholeheartedly and honestly, you're the greatest adventure that you'll ever go on as you give and submit your life to Jesus. So church, I want us to say this prayer together. Let's read it together. Thank you, God, for loving me. Lord, I have loved you. 
Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now, because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. And I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. Let's just bow our heads.